Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today are Kate Bailey and Emma Ajimang, Deputy Personal Finance Editor and Personal Finance Writer at Investors Chronicle. Also with us today is special guest Sam Bratnidge, an advisor at Tideway Wealth. Ultra-low interest rates mean investors can't rely on cash or bonds for income. But if you can take more risk, then UK equity income funds can be a good solution. However, these funds are only beneficial if you pick a good one. So Emma's written a guide on how to choose an equity income fund. Emma, what are the main things you should look for in an equity income fund? Well, there's a number of things that you need to consider, Leonora. These include yield, the payout consistency and the total return and just generally sort of issues that we look at, for example, um, the style of investment, that sort of thing. So with yields, I mean, obviously, as you said, this is a very low yielding time that we're living through. And so the temptation is to kind of go just for high yielding things. But you have to be careful. You have to find a, a fund that suits your income needs. But don't just go for a high yielding fund because, I mean, sometimes funds can have high yields because they're sort of stretching too far for growth. Um, investing it in in stocks that have a higher likelihood of dividend cuts, for example. So yeah, that's something to consider with yield. And there's also the can payout consistency to to be aware of. So it's all very well and good having a fund that gives you growth, good growth one year, but if the next year or year after is not so good, it's less useful for investors. And it's also important to pay attention to the total return because although these are primarily income funds, um, you do need to consider how your capital is going to be be protected over the time that you're holding the fund. Okay, and and what kind of yield can you reasonably expect from a UK equity income fund? At the moment, it's about three to four percent. There are some funds that which are uh, providing more than that, but generally, the bulk of decent funds providing about three to four percent. Okay. Now, you also said in your guide that growth investors can use equity income funds. How are they helpful to growth investors? Um, yes, that's right. Because I mean, the main difference is instead of taking the income, what you would do is reinvest your dividends. And in that way, you know, you're getting a regular dividend paid out. Some funds do them quarterly, some monthly, some half yearly, whatever it is, just reinvest the dividend that you get. And actually, then you can use it to grow your capital rather than taking it out. Power of compounding. Exactly. Okay, well, this all sounds really attractive, but I guess no investments risk-free. So what are the main issues facing UK equity income funds at the moment? So the main, the, you know, the big issue to think about is looming dividend cuts, because a number of large FTSE 100 companies announced at the start of the year that they would be making dividend cuts. And so that's going to have a knock on effect in how much income some of these funds are going to be able to generate. But as well as, you know, dividend cuts, there's also the issue of dividend concentration. So, you know, a lot of these these funds will hold the same sort of stocks. And the, the number of stocks that are actually responsible for how much dividend income is paid is is, is really quite staggering. So 80% of all dividend income is produced by 15 companies and 50% by just five companies, mm. um, which, which, you know, is, is a potential yeah. problem if any one of these companies has to cut its dividend. 
So that's something else to consider. Okay, um, Sam, do you think UK equity income funds are a good option for investors at the moment? I do, yes. Um, I, th- I think they are. But I think you need to look beyond the FTSE 100 for these. At the moment, um, there's not very good uh, dividend coverage of, mm, of like Emma the was FTSE saying, yeah. So, But if you look um, outside into the smaller mid-cap, you can find good companies with, with good yields and, and good balance sheets to back that up as well. Okay, and are there any good examples of funds that tap into small and mid-cap equity income? Yeah, at Tideway, we, we like the Unicorn Income Fund as is, is our, is our favourite one. Okay. Thinking about UK equity income funds versus the international peers, I mean, Emma was saying they offer maybe 3 to 4% income. Is this as good as, better, worse than overseas equity income funds? I, th- I think they're competitive. Yeah, I, I agree that they're a competitive um, um, yield at the moment. Yeah, I mean, what would be examples perhaps of what you might get on global or Asian or European equity income funds? Well, you might get a higher um, yield, but you, you were inherently taking on more risk by, by searching for that higher yield. Okay. So coming back to UK equity income funds, oh, all right, perhaps they don't have as many risks as their overseas peers, but what kind of risk appetite would an investor need to um, invest in an equity income fund because I think there's going to be a lot of people out there who want disillusioned of cash and disillusioned of bonds but let's be honest equities are far riskier than cash so you know how much risk appetite should you have to um, invest in equity income funds? Well, well, by nature, equities are higher risk mm. um, and you should really look at a longer term time horizon on, on investing. You will see, you only have to look back to 2007, 2008. That's mm. the time when you saw a huge drawdown in these in these type of investments. So you, you should allocate to money that you don't need in the next 10 years to, to long term investing in these type of investments. Is there anything you don't like about UK equity income funds at the moment? Well, I think the the, the low dividend coverage is, is a worry mm. at the moment, especially in the in the FTSE 100 companies. And I think a lot of the stocks, is, especially with a lot of overseas operations, um, mm. ha- are highly valued as well. Um, so the de- there is potential um, higher downside than upside on some of these stocks. And also there there is a bit of a potential recession looming as well. And cyclical stocks will be affected if something like that does eventually come. Okay, so just thinking about ways to avoid these risks, and I mean, would Unicorn UK Income be a, a good fund for avoiding the risks you just mentioned? I think so, yes. But it, again, I think you should be looking at putting long-term money in them because they they will be affected by short-term volatility. Um, they're not. They're, it is small mid-term caps. So mm. the, the, volatility is can be quite high on those sort of investments yeah we've been talking obviously about some of the risks when you're choosing a uk equity income fund is it any particular feature or attribute in a fund that should make you you know absolutely avoid that fund um yeah the, again the, the low cover of the mm. dividends um, mm. i think you should avoid them um, and, and again um high high valued stocks you should avoid and i also think you should look for a, a bit of a differentiator when you pick a manager um it's it can be quite easy to pick high yielding FTSE 100 stock but if you're paying for a, a good fund manager um you should look for a bit of a added value in that for example smaller mid caps yeah yeah, yeah. On the subject of um, funds that are a bit different, Emma, you mentioned in your guide that there are ones which offer substantially higher yields, but they're doing this via quite an unusual technique. Um, how do we do this? Um, yes, yeah, so these are so-called enhancer or maximizer funds, and they tend to offer higher yields of between 5 and 7%. 
And what they'll do is they'll use um, covered call options to do this. So basically, um, you know, a, a fund can own a particular stock. In this case, let's say Vodafone or GlaxoSmithKline. And what they will do is they enter into a contract with an investment bank to agree to sell the profit on that stock above a certain level. And for that that sale of, of the profit, the bank will give them um, a fee and they'll use that to top up the amount of, um, of of income that they can then pay out to investors. Okay, and what would be some examples of funds that use this technique? Um, so the analysts that we spoke to liked Schroeder Income Maximizer and um, Fidelity Enhanced Income Fund. And they sort of, they are given a yield of between 6 and 7%. Okay, so that's quite um, a substantial difference compared mm. to a mainstream UK equity income yeah, fund. It is yeah, big now I mean that sounds absolutely fantastic, but nothing's too good to be true. So what what are the let's say downside about using say short, like shoulder income maximizer or, or fidelity fund? Yeah, you're right. Um, you know, it sounds it sounds great, and it is great in some circumstances. But if you know the market is rising because you are actually selling away some of the profit on these stocks, you're actually giving away some of the growth. And so that means that when the market's doing very well, you're actually sort of losing out on a potential upside. And that means that in in bull, bull markets, um, the maximiser and enhancer funds will tend to do less well than funds that just concentrate on you know producing as much um, income as possible. Okay. Um, Sam, do you have a view on um, these enhancer sort of maximiser type funds and do you use them for your clients? Um, we don't use them, no. I, I believe that there's, there's decent value and decent yields out there. Um, so we don't need to chase higher yields. Um, I think, you know, you are inherently upping the risk a bit by trying to mm. chase a higher return. Um, and you know, some of these funds might see pronounced uh, down, downturns in, in poor times, potentially. OK, um, some useful points there. And um, you can read Emma's full guide on how to pick an equity income fund in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle. Now, an area where you really can get high payouts without using esoteric derivatives is emerging markets bonds. Private investors can't buy these directly, but you can access them, and quite cheaply too, by the growing number of exchange-traded funds, or ETFs for short, which invest in this area. Um, Kate, you've been looking at this. So what sort of yields do emerging markets bonds offer, and what kind of returns have they been making? Um, so they've been making really good returns since the start of the year. It's been one of the best performing, certainly one of the best performing ETF sectors um, since the start of the year and kind of returns of between 20 and 30 percent in some cases um, since January. And then if we look over five years, we've got returns of kind of 70 percent, 60 percent, depending on the ones we look at. And yields on these ETF tend to be around five to eight, some even nine percent. So that's pretty high. That is incredibly attractive and returns are good too. Why, why have you been doing so well? Um, well, it's partly a shift in sentiment towards emerging markets. Um, we've come out of a kind of several years of them really being in the doldrums, both in terms of equities and debt. And we're having a bit of a reversal of that now. And it's also very tied to interest rates, obviously, with rates so low everywhere else in the world, people are really searching for yield. So money is flooding back into emerging markets where you can get that higher yield. 
Okay, now there's um, quite a few different types of emerging markets, bonds and ETFs to invest in them. Can you um, roughly outline for our listeners, um, you know, the, the main categories that um, we should uh, look for? Yeah, so the, the different types of emerging market bonds are you can have um, hard currency, so that's dollar denominated, local currency, and then you can have sovereign debt, so debt issued by governments or corporate, so that's the four main types there. And then when it comes to the ETFs, those are split into hard currency, emerging market debt, local. And then also you've got some smart beta ones coming out now, which are ETFs which try to um, they try to filter the bond by the quality of issuer or by GDP of the country issuing. So there are some areas that you can look at there as well. Okay. Um, so what will be some examples of funds with which to access all these different areas? Um, so quite a few. I mean, there aren't, there aren't loads and loads of these, but there are some options. Um, quite a few by Spider, uh, quite a few by iShares. And in the Smart Beta area, there's a PIMCO, Emerging Markets Advantage, Local Bond Index, um, and there's an ETF by Lombard Odier, which have brought out this, this new index, which tries to filter by company creditworthiness. Um, so there is a range. Okay, and you can see the um, ETF's full names and stock market tickers in this week's issue of a magazine if you're interested. Um, now, Kate, um, these are very attractive, but um, quite often, if something's very attractive, it's also high risk. Are emerging markets bonds high risk? Yeah, well, relatively speaking, they certainly are higher risk. Um, I mean, the main thing here is obviously that the credit worthiness of the issuers are lower than others. So, I mean, the main risks with any bond are of default and capital loss. Now, default, the risk is higher just in terms of credit worthiness. But in fact, I mean, when you look back, there have been very few, certainly few country defaults. We did have Argentina and had some issues with Ukraine. So there have been issues, but really over the long term, it's, it's not like these countries are, are not, paying back their, not paying back their debts over the long term. And the other risk is obviously capital loss. Now, the main risk with these bonds is really tied to what the Fed decides to do. Um, so part of the reason that emerging markets have been doing quite well is that the Fed has been on a slower... The, the Fed being the Federal Reserve, the US Central Bank. Yes, sorry, yeah, the US yeah. Federal Reserve. Part of the reason emerging markets have been doing well is that the, the tightening cycle has been a bit slower than expected. Now, when the Fed raises rates, emerging markets tend to do badly in very simplistic terms. You would expect to see capital flight from emerging markets. So if the Fed does raise rates faster than people expect, then money could flood out of this asset class. It might not do that well. Um, that's certainly what happened in the taper tantrum back in 2013, which was a big emerging market crisis. Arguably, things look pretty different there now to then. Uh, at that point, bonds were very highly priced. Now they're looking pretty cheap, um, although certainly not as cheap as December last year. Um, and there, it's less kind of overinvested. There was a lot of hot money in emerging markets back in 2013. Arguably, that's changed now. But that, that is obviously a risk. The other major risk here is currency. I mean, currency movements have such an impact on your returns if you're invested in emerging market debt, particularly in local currency bonds. So that's the highest risk here, local currency, um, corporate emerging market debt. 
So, you know, this is definitely not without its risks and that is what you'd expect if you're looking at something like 9% yield. Fair enough. Sam, do you think emerging markets bond funds are suitable for private investors and do you use them with any of your clients? Um, we, we don't use them, no. Um, but but they, they could be suitable for a sophisticated investor um, who has significant other assets elsewhere as, as you know, they are higher risk. Um, and if you've got, um, if you proportion your money correctly you can you and you have a higher risk um, appetite, then you can look at um, putting some money in those. Okay. Now, um, we've been talking about the risks. I mean, what, what are the particular risks that concern you about emerging market bond funds? Well, there is a credit risk. Um, there's a higher credit risk um, in in emerging markets than there is in the developed world. Um, and also, you, you know, you, as, as was mentioned, um, you've got currency risks. Um, you've also got geopolitical risks, which can move a lot quicker than, than the bond markets, um, which uh, um, can cause volatility um, on, on these funds. Okay. Now, um, we've been talking about ETFs, which are obviously passive funds and they follow an index, don't really have much dictation on, you know, what's in the fund and what's not. They have to buy everything. So with that in mind and with the risks in mind, do you think it might be better to invest in emerging market bond funds via an active fund where managers discretion, let's say, to exclude um, certain areas? I do prefer active management ahead of passive management, um, but you need to make sure you're, you're, you've got a good good fund manager doing the right things for you, and because because they will cost more than a passive um, investment. Okay, all right, some useful points there. Now, last year, the government announced that from April this year, investors would be able to withdraw money from ISAs and replace up to the same amount in the same tax year without eating into that year's allowance. And this sounds absolutely great. But the reality is, even though this freedom is now, in theory, available, you still might not be able to use it. Kate, you've been investigating this. Why can't some investors take their money out from their ISAs and replace it in the same tax year? Just very simply because um, not all brokers have chosen to offer the flexibility. So, I mean, in fact, there are, there are very few platforms who actually do seem to be offering it currently. Many are looking at it, a um, couple launching very soon, but many just won't let you do it. And what about the high street banks? Are they any better or is it mixed bag? It's, it's a very mixed bag mm-hmm. there. We have got a full list of who is offering it and who isn't. But um, yeah, I mean, some are, some aren't basically. So it's just a, a case of really checking. You before, know, before before you, you take it all out and exactly. then get disappointed because you can't put it back in. Okay. Now, um, it sounds like a great freedom, but in fact... Um, there's some good reasons as to why you might not want to do it, even if your ISA provider allows you to. Kate, why should investors think twice before taking their money and putting it back into taking the money out of an ISA and, and banging it back in at a later date? Well, I mean, very simply put, you you want to leave your money. The whole point of investing is that you're leaving your money to grow over the long term, and I think anyone you know, pulling money out just because they're worried about volatility in the stock market should definitely be thinking twice because you do need to expect volatility and ultimately power of compounding and all of this. You need to leave your money in there to grow long term, not keep kind of pulling it out and putting it back in. There definitely are reasons to consider this flexibility. But if it's just because you're kind of scared, (laughs) then Mm. that's probably not the reason. 
Okay. Now, what are the good reasons that you alluded to for using this flexibility and in you know, what cases and circumstances? Um, well, it's mainly things around if you want to free up some money for a very short-term um, cost or short-term savings objective, then it does make sense because you can you know, take money out in a tax-efficient way and then pay for whatever your short-term kind of need is, whether that's doing up a house or, or a big short-term bill and then put it back in later. We've got a case study of someone using the flexibilizer to free up money to help their children buy property. So it's things like that when you've got a very specific um, cash goal which you could use the money for. Okay, now you say cash. Um, with that in mind, is it possibly your cash ISER that you should use to do this rather than your stocks and shares ISER? Well, yes, very possibly. And in fact, it's important to note that you can only make use of this with cash. So the ISAs that qualify are cash ISAs, innovative finance ISAs, and then only the cash part of a stocks and shares ISA. Mm. So it might make more sense. It's probably easiest to do it from your cash ISA, certainly. Okay, um, that's interesting. Now, Sam, do you think it's a good idea for investors to take money in and out of their ISAs, even if a provider allows them to do it? So, If you're investing, you should be looking at long term. So so I would say no on, on investing in the types of equities and bonds we've sort of discussed previously. Okay, so leave your investments grow. Right, and uh, you can also see the full list of providers which offer ISA flexibility um, on the website and some of them in the magazine as well. That brings us to the end of this week's podcast, so it just remains to thank Sam Bratnidge, advisor at Tideway Wealth, and Kate Beely and Emma Ajumang, Deputy Personal Finance Editor and Personal Finance Writer at Investors Chronicle. You can read more on how to choose an equity income fund, emerging market bond funds and eyes of flexibility in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle and the website. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. shopify.com slash work.